Hello and welcome to our latest installment of Friday Fathoms, where we take a little bit of time out of our day to fathom about the current and future state of the telecommunications industry. I'm your host for today, Shane Minogue, Senior Research Manager at IDC New Zealand, and I'm happy to say I'm joined by Hugh Wehazi and Nikhil Batra, um, two of our leading Asian, Asian thought leaders in this space. We're lucky enough to have both of these guys in town because they were on the latest IDC uh, Vendor Connected Future Roadshow, and this is their second stop on a wide series of stops as part of this roadshow. Obviously, we're, we're in New Zealand at the moment, and um, you guys sit in Australia some of the time. What's going on with Australia and New Zealand in, in the IoT space or in terms of deployments? Just towards the end of uh, 2018, we finished our annual IoT Global Decision Maker Survey. And of course, we've run that for the last six years or so. Uh, we talked to over two and a half thousand uh, enterprises across Asia Pacific this year. And what we're seeing in both Australia and New Zealand is that the, the tendency to deploy and extend uh, applications is increasing. Um, in Australia, about 51% of the enterprises said they had already deployed a solution and would extend it. In New Zealand, that number was a little bit lower at about 32%, but a further 10% said they'd already deployed solutions. The really cool thing, though, is that we're seeing more and more people saying they're going to launch in the next 12 to 24 months, and a decrease in the number of people who have actually abandoned or chosen not to implement IoT in these markets. It seems to be requiring velocity as the different elements of the platform become much more readily available. Okay, and I mean, what are these deployments aiming to do? Because from my experience with new technologies, what I often see is that an immature deployment often focuses on cost, and a more mature deployment is trying to actually create new revenue streams, transform the industry. Are you seeing that taking place, or is it all cost-focused? So I think we're still in those initial stages where we are, uh, seeing that productivity, efficiency, operational cost, this is what these kind of items are driving the conversations around IoT. Uh, using IoT, ITOT convergence on, on, a, on an industry floor to uh, improve, the, improve business processes, productivity, as I said. So, as, as you rightly said, these are the elements that are driving uh, the IoT deployments at the moment. However, one of the interesting things is that uh, New Zealand is one of the few countries in the region uh, that is focusing on IoT to improve customer experience in a lot of areas. So that's a plus that next stage of deployment that we are talking about, so moving away from the cost and efficiencies to actually generating new revenue streams. Are these projects single-use? Are they city-wide? What, what kind of projects are we actually seeing on the ground? First and foremost, you know, we're, we're seeing projects that are affecting all parts of the organization. There are certainly uh, priorities around things like fleet management, um, logistics, asset maintenance. Those are all sort of getting a lot of attention because there's an increasing level of instrumentation from uh, original vendors. One of the big challenges, though, we're seeing is that as we look to scale projects, as we get from proof of concept to limited deployment to go into full production, there's there's a little bit of a, a, a stumbling block where companies are saying we have to make broader infrastructure upgrades, 
We have to worry about scalability. We have to worry about managing and sharing and protecting data. So some of those issues still have to be overcome at scale to get us beyond those, those starting points and moving into full production. Okay, cool. And I mean, I saw you presented one prediction yesterday. It said that 40% of IoT deployments will fail to produce a return on investment. When I talk to telcos, you know, their main business is is flat to decline, and a lot of them are pinning their hopes on IoT. Hmm. But if they're delivering 10 outcomes and four of them are going to fail, it doesn't sound like a great business model. So what's causing this to happen, and what can they they do to to achieve something different? Um, I I think one of the big things that, has to be a part of any IoT deployment is understanding that those three fundamentals of aligning to a business outcome, being able to measure progress on that initiative, and addressing the data management and data security elements. And it is, it's stumbling across each one of those. You know, do I have the, the, the guarantee of investment from the business? Can I demonstrate the returns on that project? And can I guarantee and manage the data? Because those are the three things that we see as the big failing points for these solutions. And without it, it becomes very challenging to make a, an IoT project work. The second thing I'll say about failure of projects is that just because we don't necessarily deliver the business outcome intended from a deployment... Um, in the first go-round doesn't mean that the project itself or the use case that it was trying to address um, is is necessarily, you know, a a bad one. We can do things to come back and regroup, re-examine what uh, that particular initiative is and redefine the business outcome, redefine the the group who's going to benefit from it and, and, and still achieve the values that we want to get out of it. I think also it's, it's about uh, multiple competing organizational initiatives between the departments. So multiple departments within the same organization have uh, multiple uh, IoT projects going on, uh, and which are not actually complementary, but they are competing with each other, which takes away a lot of focus from what you're trying to achieve at the organizational level. So working together uh, as an organization, having that top-down focus on what what's the business outcome that you're trying to achieve uh, and then measuring them with the help of some centralized KPIs to ascertain whether they're meeting ROIs and uh, to reduce some of these failure rates as we move forward. Yeah, and, 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 and let's go through that prediction in detail, right? It's We said that by 2020, over 40% of IoT initiatives will fail to demonstrate a clear ROI as organizations lack the necessary KPIs to monitor progress from the early stages of such projects. So what we're talking about is failure through a lack of, of, of ability to measure outcomes. Um, and as I mentioned, um, a lack of alignment to those outcomes. So spending a little bit of time extra upfront to determine what the business outcomes are from your initiative and to determine the measures for those uh, for that outcome um, is going to pay off in the long term and avoid failure. So if I'm one of the 68% of New Zealand companies who have not deployed IoT yet, are you telling me to get my house in order first 
Nikhil, what you said was organizational silos, so that we need to have a transparent system in the business first, and then what Hugh mentions, have some KPIs in place. Before I even think about IoT, do I have to look inward and sort these problems out? Oh, absolutely. And what we're talking about is how we, uh, how we as an organization come together to some, achieve some of these uh, initiatives uh, and then understand how these link to the larger digital transformation initiatives that are going on in the organizations. Uh, it's not about a business unit coming up and talking about that they want to engage in a certain area. It's not about installing a few sensors. As you earlier mentioned, it's about it's about connected devices, things, and people, and everything out there. But it's about that the data that we get from it, how do we use that data? And all of these will require organizational processes, uh, business rules around it, access management, and everything that we talk about on an organizational level. And as we often say within IDC, that what isn't me measured doesn't get done. So measurement is the most important part to get some of these things rolling and 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 from that survey that we were the the iot decision maker survey um when asked uh what best describes how an organization was able to scale their iot solution enterprises in australia and new zealand unanimously said with over 40 percent of the responses that launching across multiple departments and even in some cases, launching these solutions company-wide was a real metric of um, that, that enabled them to be successful. So in getting people engaged and not simply doing this in one particular group and, and hiding the value under um, undercover yeah, is going to be a, 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 me a metric to drive long-term success. Sounds good. So you're saying to achieve success, it's got to be across the business. To do that, we need board approval. Are the board on board with IoT? Look, I, I think they are. I think there's um, there's a perception. Uh, you know, we asked a number of uh, C-level executives in our annual C-suite survey um, what their their innovation acceler priorities were, and they came out as big data analytics number one, IoT number two, and cloud number three. And if you look at those three um, initiatives, they play towards each other because IoT delivers the data needed for analytics. Um, cloud is an inherent part of being able to flexibly scale and um, deploy solution without long lead times and investments for infrastructure. Um, and then we can drive the business outcome by you know, gathering and visualizing the data we need. That doesn't sound easy. Uh, you're talking about a lot of tough stuff there. Is, is the talent in the organization at the moment to deliver on that? It is, and uh, that's one of the reasons when you uh, ask people about what's, what are some of their top challenges when it comes to uh, IoT. Talent gap and the fact that not having the right skill set within the organization that's a big challenge. The fact, how do you actually end up using all that data that you collect through IoT? That's going to be a big challenge. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of uh, services coming up in terms of a lot of uh, shortage in the areas of data science and a lot of people taking up that as a career option and a lot happening in that field. So 
talent and skill set is definitely a challenge today for organizations. Yeah, and, and, and we asked um we asked about the challenges in an organization in terms of their IoT analytics. Um and even when you break down the response according to company sizes, the biggest challenge people have is um a reliable gathering of data and um flexible visualization tools. There is a sense that there are available um platforms and packages within the cloud environments and within the solutions offered by a number of vendors, um, SAP being one, Bosch being another, GE being others, that allow them to do the visualization and don't necessarily mandate um, having you know a large crew of data scientists on board. Um, secondarily, you know, being able to bring in partners who have that uh, that sort of capability to allow you to kickstart your data analytics journey um, is also an effective thing and much more widely available than it was. Right, and that, that sort of goes back to the same point that we discussed earlier around having a lot of these data silos within the organizations and uh, a lot of these BUs not actually working with each other to have a single data repository to uh, to access to get all the information from so sort of having a single source of truth. Okay, so I think you, you've kind of you've said culture is a huge challenge, the talent gap is a huge challenge, and Hugh, I think you started to talk really about uh, the infrastructure in place and the platforms required. Is that based infrastructure a problem? Is there a huge overhaul needed of the internal IT infrastructure or business to allow IoT to take place, or is it more incremental? I think it's more incremental, and I think there's a lot of dependence on um, both public and private cloud infrastructures. Um, the availability of capabilities in public cloud environments allow organizations to get started without the big ramp-up time to implement their own infrastructure. And as they move to scale, they can either bring it into the private cloud environment or take it into... Um, you know, an on-prem environment or scale their public cloud environment. So there's lots of choice out there, which makes it a lot easier, number one. Um, number two, um, the bigger challenge I think there is around um, having the right sort of data governance, data management and data um, exploitation uh, capabilities in place to actually recognize and integrate the data from multiple sources um, and actually be, drive those business outcomes that they need. Okay, cool. I mean, with that in mind, would your key advice be to a CIO or IT manager, jump in, dive in, make the mistakes and figure it out as you go, or, or stay, take a step back, plan, and do it right the first time? In the world of Agile, it feels like... It would be a world. mix, right? It would be a mix. I would say, um, you know... Look at the organization, um, get together, bring together people from the business and from IT and from OT. Um, look at the problems you're facing. Explore solutions through um, limited scale deployments. Measure from the beginning um, and drive the outcomes and then scale appropriately as you're able to deliver value um, from small scale to medium scale to full scale. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. So I think we've covered up most of the challenges, but the one thing we haven't said is security. Um, from my knowledge, and correct me wrong, but this is a, a huge issue for IoT. I remember back in October 2016, we had the Mirai botnet attack, which for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with, was the massive DDoS attack, which left much of the internet inaccessible. If I remember right, it was basically going into um, IoT devices that had limited or no passwords and was able to attack the whole internet from there. Mm. I read one article that described it as the Mirai botnet, which almost brought down the internet. Is that hyperbole or is it as dangerous as it sounds? So the 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 the, the, um, the DIN um, uh, DDoS attack, which was based on Mirai, um, utilized about 120,000 IoT connected uh, video cameras, uh, which had a security um, failing where you couldn't change the admin password. Um, now, the you know we asked people uh, about where they thought they should change their um, security policies to support IoT, and the three biggest areas was. Um, about 33% said um, network security and I think there's a lot of capabilities coming from carriers and in the data um, in, in the actual enterprise to manage network security and identify uh, unexpected uh, volumes of data coming from, from different areas. Second thing was avoiding data corruptions and so securing the data stream to make sure you don't pollute the, uh, the pool. And the third, about 15% said endpoint security. So when you're thinking about endpoints, going through that checklist and engaging with your CISOs to say, you know, what are the things we should be looking out for? What is, where's the greatest risk coming? Um, is going to save you a whole bunch of pain. Uh, so the people who bought those, those video cameras, which had this um, known problem, um, you know, didn't really go through their security checklist. So the point here is that if the line of business and IT work together to create these outcomes, which is a practice we're seeing an increasing trend towards um, over the last five years or so, then this, the, 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 the outcomes are likely to be more successful. Yeah, I... I can't remember security ever not being part of a conversation when we're talking about uh, any new technology for that matter. So does it increase some of the risk? It probably does. But then is it worth it given the kind of business benefits and new revenue streams, the efficiencies that we are talking about? Definitely, yes. So as you said, it's, it's about that comprehensive risk evaluation within the organization to understand uh, everything that that is happening and that could happen with the with the endpoints with the network and the uh, internal ict environment for an organization when it comes to iot implementations mm. cool i mean one thing i find fascinating about the new zealand market and i'd be interested to hear if it is happening in other markets too is the proliferation of networks so i mean in new zealand population of four to five million people with three mobile networks, there was kind of an old story that that was almost too many, and that you don't need that many uh, duplication of network resources to support a population of that size. 
yet it's happening, it's competitive. When it comes to IoT, we're seeing even more networks being introduced. I know we've got two nationwide networks through Kotahinet and Thingstra, but Spark and Vodafone are deploying LP1 networks. Chorus is trying out an LP1 network. I'm seeing an NBIoT network from the telcos. But when I do a count, I'm getting to nearly seven IoT networks. Is that happening in other countries in the region? And is it required? And will it last? Nikhil? <laughs> Pass the book on that one. I think as uh, networks are the underpinning infrastructure that uh, that will underpin a lot of these IoT implementations. Uh, we are definitely seeing this in in a lot of uh, other countries. We recently did a, a telco index, telco maturity index for IoT, uh, in which New Zealand topped uh, the ranking in terms of uh, the core metrics of uh, business and governance around telco network. Uh, preparedness around IoT, uh, and you rightly mentioned all the New Zealand population and uh, GDP are not very high. Uh, it has the highest ease of doing business, uh, regulatory quality, and a lot of focus on innovation. And I think that's helped uh, the government and uh, the telcos work to develop all of these networks out there uh, to propel some of these uh, IoT innovations in the market. And and look, I, I think what you're seeing at the moment is you're seeing um, a number of carriers offering uh, low power WAN and, and 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 associated networks and solutions. The nice thing that we're seeing is that where a couple of years ago we had you know LoRaWAN, we had Sigfox, we had Weightless, we had Zigbee, we had a series of different um, network options that were looking to address the problems around connecting things to the network. Um, what we're seeing at the moment is that narrowband IoT is starting to emerge as something all the carriers can offer, and it's a standard uh, way of connecting, just as uh, 4G and 5G are a standard way of connecting um, mobile devices uh, to the network. So we're, we're actually seeing a collapsing of um, capabilities and a streamlining of some of these networks. So we've got our mobile uh, 5G, 4G, 3G networks that can connect things. We've got our low-power WAN networks, which are rationalizing um, and being integrated into the carrier ecosystem. We've got satellite solutions, and we've got um, you know fixed and Wi-Fi type solutions. So being able to have choice about how we connect, number one, choose the best one for our use case, um, and have those solutions ubiquitously available across multiple carriers rather than just being limited to one or two providers um, is actually going to be good for the deployment of IoT in Australia, in New Zealand, in China, in Indonesia, um, in Africa, in all the countries across the world. Sounds good. I guess you're saying depends on your use case. You pick the appropriate network. Um, is there also a bit of a case of a competing technologies? Are we going to see one of these technologies or one of these networks become the Betamax of the future? And if so, if I'm an enterprise and I bet on the wrong horse, am I screwed because I've? 
picked the wrong technology and now we've got to re-outfit everything. No, I don't think you're screwed. I think that the the responsibility for connecting things to the network um, is going to lie very much with the 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 service providers, the platform providers um, who are driving these solutions, and um, just being able to make sure that you know you are following at least a standard that has a, a future roadmap. And that you're working with uh, partners who are able to keep delivering um, robust solutions into the market um, is going to help a lot of in, in overcoming a lot of those concerns about the roadmap. Okay. And and I think these these different networks that you talk about they're they're not really competing with each other. They're they're all very complementary in uh, in a lot of respects in terms of what they bring to the table. So it will be, in, in all the cases, it will be about evaluating a use case, figure out which network fits most uh, well in, in those scenarios, and then going ahead with this. Because for some, maybe uh, an NBIRT network would be the best preference to go ahead with. Uh, for others, it would be a LoRa or a Sigfox network. Hmm. Makes sense. Okay, I mean, I think that kind of covers the challenges from the end-user perspective. Um, what are they looking for from vendors to solve some of these problems? What can vendors do to help provide a better solution in IoT? A couple of things that we saw from the survey um, really focused on um, the vendors having a good technology roadmap, um, having the ability to bring deep industry expertise uh, to the table, um, and the ability to integrate uh, an ecosystem of partners. We recognize that these solutions are not, you know, all delivered by one company. Uh, so bringing together the players who can contribute to a, you know, a manufacturing operations or a logistics solution or um, a surveillance and public safety solution is going to be key and keeping those people interested, involved, and uh, active in their roadmaps um, is also going to be key. So having those partnerships um, and bringing them to market is, is going to be a key from the, uh, the partnership side of um, the IoT relationships. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's, it's about creating that partner ecosystem. And we shouldn't forget it's, it's about, about data it's all about data. It's not just about connecting these devices. So, we are actually uh, creating value out of the data that we are gathering, helping those data for internal and external gains using uh, artificial intelligence, uh, using artificial intelligence, machine language. Uh, so it will be about vendors who bring together all these capabilities and uh, provide the business benefits that these businesses are looking for or these organizations are looking for. That's really interesting. It kind of, kind of brings me back to one thought I had yesterday during your uh, presentation. And when I think about the value chain, I often go back to the telco. I know they're not the only person in this in this value chain, in this ecosystem, but I can't help but to think of their position. When I look at the New Zealand market, we've got three telcos, uh, two of which have, I think, t taken their strategy and begun, one of which I think is kind of waiting to see what to do next. 
when I look at the two who have taken their strategic approach, one seems to have taken uh, what I would call a vertical agnostic approach, um, deploying IoT solutions that can be released in any vertical um, across the board, kind of those horizontal kind of IoT applications. And one has taken a very vertical specific approach, um, we'll say picking winners, verticals that they think IoT will be most successful in and they're generating expertise in that vertical. If I'm the third telco right now sitting here, which is the best strategy? What's the best approach and what, what should what should they do, I guess? <coughs> this uh, pretty much depends on the telco what approach they want to take and uh, what exactly is the uh, role they want to play in developing this uh, IoT ecosystem further. I think a survey indicates the fact that uh, a lot of organizations in uh, in New Zealand think that telcos will lead in IoT because of the value chain, the uh, relationships they have with the vendors, and the fact uh, that they have that experience of bringing together a whole solution. But then they'll need to work with a variety of uh, people within uh, a, uh, for an IoT use case uh, within the industry to create that partner ecosystem. For example, if you take an example of an autonomous bus, like something that was done in uh, South Korea recently, uh, they need to work with the automakers, the terminal makers, platform providers, uh, and then, of course, try to figure out where the where the money is because that that's going to dictate for telcos uh, how much they want to get involved in a lot of these use cases. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think um, from the from the carriers we've seen globally. Um, those who choose a particular industry or um, area to build their IoT capability, um, they're the ones who seem to have um, the ability to actually generate and attract more and more connections uh, on their networks. Okay, but Hugh, when you think of traditional telcos, they don't, they don't usually have, that's not their area of expertise, they don't have strength in verticals, so are they having to change how they act in the market? Is this, is this new for them? Are they, are they able to do it? it? It is new for them, and they can do it. Um, you know, we've seen some carriers who have, have made investments in third-party companies, have purchased them, bought them into the fold. Um, just simply doing connections, we know that there's going to be price pressure on these thin connections, and they're going to be relatively low numbers um, per year uh, per device. So... If you're just in the business of connecting things, then you're not going to be in that business for very long because it's going to be a challenge to make money out of it. Absolutely. So you're bringing in, the, uh, I guess, a larger theme that telcos need to change exactly their, their whole business models to survive in the future, right? And IoT is just a part of that. I'm afraid so. Okay, sounds good. I guess with that, I'd actually like to go back to something you started with which was that today we're at the confluence of, a, of technology. Uh, multiple innovative technologies are starting to mature and hit the market at the same time. I'd be interested to see how they're impacting IoT, first of all, and the wider telecommunication space. So, I mean, Hugh, if we take 5G to begin with, how does that come into play in this whole IoT discussion? Well, 5G brings us the, the ability to do those mission-critical applications and to support huge numbers of connections on the device. Um, we're scaling up to about 
a million. Uh, the target for 5G is about a million devices per square kilometer, uh, which is a, a significant uptick from 4G. Um, and we're also looking at being able to support low latency, high throughput solutions like video cameras, real time data between motor vehicles and roadside, um, all of these sorts of things. So 5G gives us great capability at the top end of the use cases for mission critical. The implementation of narrowband IoT, which came out in 4G and is persisting in 5G, gives us the ability to support lots of devices which have relatively low data contributions. So 5G from a radio perspective um, gives us the ability to do a bunch of things in the, um, you know, untethered uh, thing market that we couldn't do before and move that uh, data effectively both to the edge and to the core of our computing infrastructure uh, so we can bring value from it very, very quickly. The thing I find confusing about 5G, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me like there's actually two 5Gs, right? There's the 5G in the lower gigahertz, you know, that might require small upgrades to cell towers from telcos, not a huge investment. And then there's this greater than 20 gigahertz um, 5G that is requiring millions of small base cell stations and is really going to be a whole new world in terms of 5G. Mm. Is that fair? Is IoT the same across both or is it different to different things and are there different in, uh, rollout plans for both? Yeah, it, it, it again, it, you have more choice now in the in the connectivity landscape using radio. So if you want really, really fast, really, really low latency, you'll go into the millimeter wave, which has a lot of uh, cell density, which is that above 20 uh, gigahertz space. If you want um, distance and broader coverage um, with slightly lower throughputs, um, then you go for the three and a half gigahertz or, or um, spectrum. So there will be different things, but what this is about, we, we had the same deal in uh, 4G where we had multiple spectrum bands. Um, it's going to basically translate to more choice uh, in terms of what are you trying to do here? What, are you, what is the, the purpose you're trying to address? Um, and giving you the right network for that situation. Yeah. And and that's, that's one of the reasons that we, uh, when we talk about 5G, we always feel that uh, most consumer use cases uh, lack that compelling justification for utilizing 5G uh, and deriving value and money out of it for telcos. And hence, we believe that it will be the enterprise enterprise mobility IoT solutions such as factory automation, field support services, uh, remote command and control, those kind of things that will drive a lot of uh, 5G implementation. So it will be the enterprise use cases that will drive 5G implementation across the across the region for telcos than uh, being pushed across by uh, consumer use cases. However, however the, I think the Asia-Pacific uh, IoT access model that we have, it highlights that uh, all the cellular connections are growing fastest. Uh, the most connections uh, grow in IoT will continue to be in the fixed Wi-Fi as opposed to cellular over the next few years uh, before we transition that. Because this is, I think, is generally a function of the industrial IoT installed uh, 
that tends to have a fixed connectivity model because of the factory equipment and smart city infrastructure that we're talking about that stays within a location. Yeah, and, and the, the, the model that uh, Nikhil is referring to there is is one we've done for China, Singapore, Australia and New Zealand that we're expanding to all the countries this year and that um, helps us count the number of connected things over time for each one of the use cases and we're going to expand that one this year to include the traffic contribution from each one of those things so how much data will each thing give to us so that you know that'll become a tool that will allow people to effectively choose the kind of network um, and the kind of capability on the network they need uh, to support that particular use case well, I mean, I know I just see those trackers, but that, that sounds like a <coughs> massive tracker because there's just millions of these things and so much traffic. It must be huge. Yeah, well, we started doing this thing called the IoT Spending Guide um, a couple of years ago where we wanted to work out how people would spend uh, to implement these use cases from a hardware, software, connectivity and services standpoint. This access model evolves that connectivity component by breaking it down across the five different types of connectivity. Um, and now also, we know quite a lot about each of those use cases. Uh, we've got over 100 of them at the moment. And we're now able to sort of make an assessment of how much data a, a connected vehicle will give us per hour of operation, how much a connected livestock will contribute to the network, um, for each hour. So we can start to make those sorts of determinations. That's interesting because I guess I was going to ask, you know, people keep asking, is 5G monetizable for a network player? Is, is it through IoT? Something like that would actually tell me the which use cases and it would kind of answer directly the monetizable question. Is that fair to say or is there more to it than that? Precisely. That That is absolutely what it's all about. Um, and the only other thing I would say is you have to think beyond the cost of connectivity um, to look at the value of the solution um, because you know in, in our traditional mobile environment um, I as a carrier charge you for data uh, for voice and data services um, simply charging for the sim card is not going to make you any money but charging for one of these enterprise use cases um, is where we think the most benefit is going to be derived. That makes sense. I think it goes back to a point Nikhil made because I remember when 4G was introduced in the New Zealand market and the telco provider tried to just charge consumers, I think, an extra 5 or $10 a month to use the 4G network. That just wouldn't work anymore, right? I mean, they've, no. they've become more and more intelligent than that because consumers just did not did not do that at all. Well, you know, we, we, we believe that there's a level of fatigue in the consumer market where, um, you know, the, the current speeds for downloads and watching high definition videos and, you know, gaming and all that sort of stuff are good enough. Um, consumers are now at a level of, of maturity where they're saying, um, give me more throughput, more data capability at a lower price. And I'll stay with you. Um, and as we saw from you know, recent examples in uh, in India and some of the other markets, uh, carriers can be highly disruptive by discounting and, and stealing uh, customers. 
And that's going to continue as long as there's undifferentiated services. What enterprise use cases offer us is the ability to deliver differentiated service that has a lot of stickiness with the enterprise and can be effectively monetized. And carriers have been uh, always complaining about the fact that uh, OTT players taking away large chunks of revenue away from them uh, and sometimes networks being reduced to dump pipes, so as to say. But this is this is one of the big opportunities in front of them because networks being at the center of this connected future that we are talking about to develop that ecosystem around around there or around them uh, to provide that entire solution set rather than just connectivity and let some SIs or others develop on top of it and offer that solution to the market. You've got to be in it to win it. Absolutely. I think I think you're touching on another subject there, which is I, I find really fascinating is how, how much are telcos to blame for their for their own uh, revenue uh, flatlining and plateauing. I mean, it seems sometimes like they're on a race to the bottom, but I think that's a separate conversation to IoT, so maybe that's for uh, next next time's podcast. Uh, let's go back to IoT and the, uh, the other technologies. I noticed one prediction here that says that by 2020, we see the success rate of AI implementations in IoT will have reached around 90%. Um, can you tell me a bit more about AI and how it impacts IoT and why it's going to hit such a high number? I, I think it's a function of the amount of data that's going to come from these things that are going to be connected to the network. Um, we, there, there, we're going to have to find patterns in that data. We're going to have to find answers to, that, uh, to those patterns or from those patterns. And that becomes increasingly difficult to... Uh, do when you're, you're you're putting humans against it, just simply finding them, keeping them, and avoiding boredom. As we sort of structure those um, those insights and deliver them to people to make decisions upon, automation is going to become increasingly important, and also having um, machine learning and AI tools looking at the data streams and learning as they evolve over time. Um, will be increasingly important. So AI is going to, be, uh, a, going to be a big player in driving value out of the IoT data. And, and in addition to that, uh, because of all the organizations today, they are, they're taking a cloud-first approach, which is sort of complicated the security environment, which is further, uh, the, the risk further increases as we discussed earlier in an IoT world. Uh, managing uh, or adopting managed security services that use analytics, machine learning, uh, machine learning, AI, all of that to respond uh, to some of these security threats and uh, be safer in this world out there is something that uh, organizations are really actively looking at these days. Okay, cool. One more technology that's mentioned in the predictions is blockchain. Uh, the prediction says that in 2019, uh, we're there already, uh, blockchain's limitations in processing vast numbers of IoT transactions in real time will limit IoT integration into blockchain and thus IoT-related spend to 5% of overall blockchain spend. So is blockchain a bit of a, a fad, at least in IoT? Is it not uh, delivering what it, what it promised? Well, look, I, I think blockchain's uh, 
got some great capabilities. Um, it's 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 version one of um, distributed ledger technology. So putting the data in multiple points, so you minimise the risk of a failure at, at a single point, um, and also guaranteed sequencing and in um, you know unchangeability of that data. So delivering those three aspects, we're already seeing some new um, capabilities coming uh, to speed up the. Um, the confirmation of a new block being added. Um, but I think the blockchain capability is going to be with us for some time because we need that, um, you know, uncorruptible nature of this data um, without requiring, um, you know, massive investments or centralized um, secured environments. Using a decentralized technique, I think, plays extremely well. Um, and, and allows us to deliver the security people are demanding. Makes sense. Um, with that, guys, we're, we're quickly approaching an hour on this session, so I'm going to start to wrap it up. If I can ask you one last question um, to kind of summarize the, the broad discussion we've had already, it would be in terms of advice. So if I can ask you for one piece of advice, uh, Hugh, I'll ask you for one piece of advice for the telco vendor in their IoT strategy, and Nikhil, I'll ask you for one piece of advice in the enterprise in adopting IoT, um, just to get that broad view again. So, Nick, Hugh, if you want to go first. Um, just measure. Measure progress, um, measure value, measure achievement to the, um, to, to the business outcome you've defined. Um, and if you're not achieving it, um, stand back and, and rethink it. For, for the telcos and service providers, it would be about following the money trade figure out where the money is, because that's going to drive a lot of use cases. So take a use case approach and follow the money trail. Perfect. Great way to, to finish it up. I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks to Hugh and Nikhil for joining me today. And join me next time for the latest installment of Friday Fathoms. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Shane.